Hey you and welcome, my name is Mike, and in this here old podcast, friends, compatriots, sweethearts, I have two stories for you about keeping it, keeping it in the family. Also, just, just like in advance notice, there's like freaking construction going on right outside my window, which just makes this an awesome time to record a podcast, so I do apologize if you hear any of that. Now in this old podcast, well, it is fun for all the family. By fun, I mean uh, murder, so yeah. Uh, The first story, it's about one family versus one person. And they would not take no, no siree, no, they wouldn't take no, they wouldn't take a loss for an answer. No siree, Bob. They even had the shittiest website ever to slander their enemy. It really gives us great credence to the issues that have been foisted upon them. A grandmother's impossible choice, and a father's willingness to risk everything in order to rescue his three little girls. Well, uh, sounds intense, but that's what they want you to think. In story numero two o, we have a murder within the family, and how one member was given a choice. The choice being ship up or shape out. They had to choose between mom and dad, which is a pretty shitty freaking choice uh, to have a kid make, if you ask me. Um, Not that anybody's asking me. That's just my two cents. Hey, (laughs) dollars and cents. Because it makes no sense, let me tell you. And if I could ask you for anything, my friends, it would be uh, please rate, review, uh, follow, subscribe to the podcast. That helps out tremendously to give it maybe some stars, maybe some five stars if I can be cheeky. Thank you so, so much. And if you do that, I promise daddy's going to come and give you a nice little foot massage. While you sleep, of course, you'll wake up one day and your feet will feel oh so good. You're welcome. Now, let's give it a go. It's that little old state we're heading off to. We Delaware. Delaware? I was Della ignorant. Oh, uh, ending the podcast. The reason we're going to Delaware is that's where the Matusiewicz family lived. At the tippity top of Delaware lies Newark City, not far from Wilmington. There's also, you know, the Newark close by in Jersey, but that's a, that's a different one. So this is Newark. The Matusiewiczes were made up of Thomas, his wife Lenore, and their two children, David and Amy. They, they did have a second son after David, one Michael, but he, he tragically passed away from complications of leukemia in 1986. Now Thomas, the daddy, he was a former cop, a crack shot, apparently. But he was forced to resign after only four years on the force due to some kind of policy violation. Either he was on the schnockta, he was on the devil's lettuce, or he was just beating up too many hippies. But after that, he went to work at the postal service. Lenore, she worked with the physically disabled. Enough about them though, because the central character in this story is their son, David Matusiewicz, a anatomist, don't you know? Well, you do now. See, David, he was very close with his parents, Thomas and Lenore. And when David was 31 years of age in 1998, he finally gathered the courage to introduce his folks to his new girl, Christine Belford. Now, I can guarantee that David would have been a hell of a lot more worried about what his parents were going to think than what Christine was going to think. 
Both David and Christine had been married before, and they met at David's optometry practice in, in Newark, Delaware. Christine, she was, she was the office manager, she was seven years younger uh, than David, she was 24 years of age when they started a relationship in 1998, and she also, she had a daughter from her first marriage. In 2001, David and Christine, they, they married, and together they would, they would buy a house in Middletown, New Jersey. Nice, you know, lovely, big ol' house, hey, an optometrist's salary, muy bueno. They had a pool and all that's all those sorts of shenanigans. And over the next few years, the family of three, David, Christine, and Christine's daughter, who, by the way, so Christine, as I said, she had a daughter from a previous marriage, but David adored her. She practically became his own daughter. Well, those three would become six, as Christine. She would have three more girls. So you got David, you got Christine, four daughters, three are David's biological. However, now Christine, she had her own, she had difficulties. She, she had a lot of, um, she had a wicked bout of postpartum depression. She would be treated for that though. Now, things began to go awry, however, for the family shortly after David and Christine had their second daughter together, child number three of four. See, this is where the fun begins, my friends. Thomas and Lenore moved in with them. Yikes, uh, when the parents, when the parents move in, you are fucked. It's always a recipe for disaster, or nearly always. And as I said, you know, David, he was very close with his parents. He was like, come on, y'all, room enough for everybody. While Christine is giving him the, the shit eyes, the stink eyes. Christine, um, you know, obviously, as you can imagine, wasn't quite um, as chuffed as David would have been, especially because, you know, at, at the start, there is only a short stay. That turned into month after month after month. Christine, you know, she had just given birth. She had her own mental health issues. And then she had her husband's parents telling her, oh, this is how you do stuff. And this is what you're doing wrong. Just what a new mother needs to hear. Yeah. See, Thomas and Lenore, the grandparents, the reason they had moved in with David and Christine was that they had sold their home and they were looking for a new one. And so they, they would stay, you know, with them. They had a nice big house for the time being. It ended up being a long time being and they weren't in any huge mega rush to go out and buy their own house. They were happy out there, you know, sure. sure what would they be going to live in their own place for? But after about 10 long ass months, Christine, new mother, you know, stay-at-home mother, suffering from postpartum depression, she, she kicked them out, essentially saying, get the fuck out. So then Thomas and Lenore, they bought their own uh, place not too far away. So they were still always around. And it seemed like David always wanted them around. For, for example, he wouldn't let anyone other than his parents babysit the children. None of the Belfords, Christine's, her own family, nope, nope, Christine's parents, nope, you're not good enough, you can't watch the kids. Just mummy and daddy. This, this fucking guy, he's still sucking his mama titty. By the way, uh, I just got a note here. A few people, including Christine's daughter, you know, from her previous marriage, they would say, uh, wow, Lenore and Tommy, they're kind of like, um, you know, having lived with them for quite some time, they're kind of like, Assholes would be the word. Uh, they were a nightmare 
to live with. They were they were just headbangers. Yeah, they would shout. They would lie. They took over the entire house. They were aggressive, arrogant, and bossy. Thomas, he was a gun enthusiast, but he didn't he didn't you know keep it to himself as his own little hobby. He used it to keep you in your place. Got a problem with how Lenore and I do things? Talk to my semi-automatic. I guess now it's no surprise why he was kicked out of the police. The policy violation is you're a dickhead. By the time baby girl number three arrived, the marriage was, um, well, it wasn't. Uh, straight up, just it wasn't. It was dead. DOA. They would divorce in 2006. And this, my dear friends, is where the whole kit and caboodle kicks off. So listen up. So during the custody hearings, a court-ordered psychological evaluation found Christine, Christine Belford, to be, uh, well, Grant. She wanted the family to be together, but you know, she was a great mama, she was no danger to her own children. David Matuzowicz, on the other hand, though, was suffering from anxiety, stress, and depression, and was, quote, at risk of losing touch with reality. Probably not the best person to be a sole caregiver to young children. I mean, if he's losing touch with reality, I don't think it's a good idea to have someone who thinks a baby is a microwavable dinner to be in charge. So when that's what the psychological evaluations, um, you know, their thesis was, that led to the decision which made total, complete sense that they be granted joint custody. David and Christine joined custody of their three children, with David and the Matuzowitzes during the week, and with Christine at weekends and weekday visits. Now, the Matuzowitzes, when this, you know, was the was the order, they were friggin' pissed off. They were all pissed off. They were shouting and roaring. They were they were, they were saying, Christine, ooh, Christine, ooh, you're gonna regret it. She's a bad egg. Joint custody, joint schmustody. They wanted their grandkids all for themselves and for Christine to take a hike. And this is when the Matuzowitz family, all four of them, Thomas, Lenore, David, and David's sister Amy, they decided on one goal, one mission, one objective. They were focused, they were dedicated, and they were relentless. And their goal was to destroy Christine Belford forever. Christine, around this time, she would constantly feel like someone was burning a hole into the back of their into the back of her head. She would see shady cars across the street. She felt like someone was on her ass the entire time. Uh, that's because there was someone on her ass the entire time. Christine, she became scared of David and his family who had begun stalking her. The Matuzowitzes would upload videos to YouTube, and it, it, it's like they, well, they actually were stalking her, and they were they were slandering her to try and get sole custody of the children. They would try and just, you know, follow her around everywhere, hoping she would do something that would make her look bad. In 2007, David, covert-like, he sold his optometry business. Now, obviously, Christine, they had met as his office manager. She had long stopped since you know, being his office manager. He then forged Christine's signature to get credit from the bank. With that credit, David and his mother, Lenore, he's such a fucking mommy's boy, this guy, they bought a Winnebago. They were going to go for a spin. David, his mama, 
with the tree with the the girls the tree girls um a nice little spin to central america a spin christine was very much unaware of on the 26th of August 2007, they drove by Christine saying, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're taking the kids to Disney World. Yay! You know, we'll be back in two weeks. And Christine, she said, hey, that's, that's a-okay with me, pal. You know, it'll be fun for the girls. It would be a lot longer than two weeks before Christine saw her kids again. A couple of days later, while on the road, David and Lenore... They came up with this really friggin' sick uh, decision. They told the girls that their mother, Christine, had killed herself. Lovely. Your mother's dead and she's never coming back, so you're stuck with us. Yeah, lovely. It took 18 months until they were tracked down by federal marshals in a small village called Katarina, practically in the jungles of Nicaragua. So an old bitch and her shitty son take three small children to the middle of a tropical jungle. How and why they chose that and what they were planning to do, I give up. They were going to start a little commune or something. They were discovered in March 2009, calling themselves the Blanco family. Wow, really? Five white Americans of Polish descent in the middle of the jungle? And they were there... You know, in the middle of a jungle, living out of a Winnebago for the previous year and a half, which, woo, um, I'm sure it smelt, smelt something spectacular. We got approached, um, and obviously he was very surprised and shell-shocked, and, but, you know, I would add that everything was done very peacefully. The team also nabbed Lenore Matusowicz in the trailer. The three girls were found safe and reunited with their mother. They were returned to America, and David and Lenore we're up shit creek. The girls, they went back to their mother. Gee, I mean, can you imagine? Christine hasn't seen her girls in 18 months. David, he pled guilty to kidnapping and he would spend almost three years in prison. Lenore, she got 18 months. Thomas, even though he clearly had been a part of it and had helped, you know, plan it, he, he always pled innocent when he was questioned about it. Where are they? I don't know. I don't know and he escaped charge. But I can imagine the only reason Thomas didn't go with Lenore and his son David was probably because he was an old fart and the, the Nicaraguan heat is no good for the old ticker. When being sentenced, David said that Christine had been sexually abusing the kids, hence why they had run away. The judge said, well, uh, yeah, right, if that's true, how come you never mentioned this before to the police? Let the record show, I call bullshit. And so, from prison... Well, David, he decided to do what, uh, you know, we, we, anybody would do. And that was to make it so much worse for Christine and the kids and to up the game. When Lenore got out, David, still inside, her and her husband Thomas, they upped, uppity up, up the abuse claims. They were writing, they were sending out little letters, making videos that you do everybody they could, to family services, to reporters, to all that trying to stir shit. And literally just, Christine did this and this and this. And everybody just fucking ignored them because they're insane people. Every claim they made, every letter was shot down, rightfully so, because they just made up everything. They were pure shite talk. So guys, listen, here, tell me this, riddle me this, what would you do, what would you do, what would you, what would you do do if this happened to you, you? 
That is the question Grandmother's Impossible Choice asks. It's a page on a website, a website weirdly about Joan Benet Ramsey, a grandmother's impossible choice and a father's willingness to risk everything in order to rescue his three little girls. Wow, what a hero. A lot of this was written by Lenore in prison. The website, it's, it's, it's there on, as I said, the, 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 the majority of the website is about Joan Benet Ramsey. The reason um, Lenore's page is on that website is because the entire website about Joan Renee Ramsey is run by, by her sister-in-law. So I guess she was like, I'll put it up for you. And by the way, her sister-in-law, who is running this website with Joan Benet Ramsey, seems like a crazy person, just so you know. Uh, but let's stick with the Matuzowitz plot for now, and Christine Belford. Don't want to kind of go off the deep end here. So in this, uh, frankly, bizarre-as-shit page, Lenore lists all the reasons why Christine sucks and why she's abusing the kids. Let me just read out a few that are listed, like there's about 50 on this page. I'll list out some of the main ones. Okay, and I quote, Christine Belford searched for and found a convicted pedophile and kept his rap sheet under her mattress. Then she threatened to sell David's three blonde white American girls for $50,000 each. Exclamation marks. Christine ignored Laura, one of the daughters, about one year old, and the child played in a storage garage filled with dangerous equipment and chemicals. More exclamation marks. Christine trained Lee, another daughter, to eat independently by throwing food on a filthy rug and then having Lee fight the dog for her food. I mean, this is just such insane. <laughs> this is like literally the craziest shit ever, but this is what she was saying uh, that Christine was doing. Laura knew all about the G-Spot and how to play the game Lick the Lollipop at age five. She has a secret with her mommy about what she has to do to mommy to make mommy feel good. Laura said that if she ever tells, mommy will go to jail. Children and people with mental retardation put on extra layers of clothes to try to thwart their rapist's molesters. Laura started wearing extra layers of clothes when visiting mommy. This is clearly all from a very sick mind. This could be you and your grandchildren, more exclamation marks. What would you do? How far would you go to protect your grandchildren from this manipulative, deceitful, unstable woman? Okay, there's literally just one unstable woman here, and uh, she's the one who wrote this shit. Like, this reads like a crazy person's diary. No, it, it, like, it, it's kind of funny. And then it's kind of sad when you read, when you, you know, are, realize this is literally what she believes. Let me read you some more. This frail 65-year-old grandmother has now been released from jail. Her name is Lenore Lee Matuzowicz. Her son, David Matuzowicz, is presently being held in a correctional institute in Texas. This is a father who is simply trying to protect his three children from their mother because he believes she is more than capable of releasing them to a pedophile or taking their lives. It is fucking cuckoo, but this is the kind of shit that Christine had to put up with, like this being written about her online. And then, as you can imagine, Lenore was sending this to every single person she possibly could. So Christine, she would file suit against the Matuzowitzes. She was seeking monetary damages, and it was against David, Lenore, and Thomas. After Christine did that, file a civil suit, Thomas and Lenore would send letters to her 
lawyer, filled with the kind of information on the grandmother's Impossible Choice website, saying, you know, here, listen, you should really know about who you're representing. You can thank us later. This is who Christine really is. Thomas and Lenore's own attorney uh, during this time, fighting the civil suit, he would quit uh, representing them, defending them, because... Um, let me just double check do, 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 if I'm reading if I'm reading between the lines here. They're batshit crazy. By the time Thomas and Lenore had moved away to Texas, they had filed for bankruptcy. That was I guess that was another reason their attorney quit. They never fucking made him. But they were not quitting at all. Uh, and this is another quote from their website. If there are any learned, honorable attorneys who would be willing to represent this father and his three children, pro bono, please contact the grandparents, Tom and Lee Matuzowitz. You'd have to be pro bono and pro insane. It's surprising, by the way, that Thomas and Lenore moved so far away to Texas. Uh, maybe it was the heat. Maybe she had family there. David, he was in prison there. Anyway. Christine, she would later drop the suit, the damages suit. I mean, you may as well. I mean, on one hand, you'd be like, here, listen, they've put you through so much hell. Sue them. But on the other hand, they're not going to pay you. Like, it's going to go nowhere. So her attorney, he essentially, for, the attorney for Christine, he, he came out and he said, here, listen, she just wants to put all this behind her. Just please leave her alone and let her move on with her children. Do you think that happened? David was released from prison in 2012, and he moved in with his parents in Edcouch, southern Texas, near the border. And so then began the child support hearings with them traveling back to Delaware. One of these was due to take place on the 11th of February 2013 in Delaware, at the family court in Wilmington, the Newcastle County Courthouse. That morning, at around 8.15am, Christine arrived with her friend Beth Mulford. Her friend was there for Christine just for, for moral support. David was due to be arriving with his dad, Thomas. Christine and Beth, they walked in that morning. They went through the glass revolving door and then into the lobby. And they didn't, they didn't see David anywhere. David was in the car park, but Thomas was waiting for them. As Christine and Beth walked into the lobby full of people, Thomas pulled out a handgun and he shot Christine to death before turning the gun also on Beth Mulford, murdering her also. Negative J5, I'm in the courthouse, and we're going to the courthouse, we got shots fired here. Thomas, he then walked out of the courthouse and exchanged fire with the police outside. He was shot twice. He got in a few on the cops also, before turning the gun on himself, blowing his brains out. He fell face first into a pool of his own blood in front of the courthouse. How insanely tragic. Christine murdered her friend, you know, also there who had nothing to do with anything, murdered too, and, and Thomas... Well, let's not cry over spilt milk. What I can tell you is I can confirm a shooting that occurred in the lobby of the county courthouse uh, this morning at approximately 8 o'clock. Uh, one lone male suspect entered that lobby and opened fire. There was an exchange of gunfire between the Capitol Police officers and this suspect. As a result of that gunfire, uh, the suspect is dead. 
In the aftermath, the remaining Matuzowitzes claimed they had no idea what, what he, Thomas, what he was going to do. David, he was arrested. This was for uh, violating his, his probation. The children, they were taken into protection. Shortly after, I guess, guess what? Because the Matuzowitzes are not done, by the way. Because Amy Gonzalez, sister of David, she filed for custody of the three girls. She, she said, oh boy, oh boy, oh dear, what's going on? Custody battle? Suits? Lawsuits between the Matuzowitzes and, and Christine? What, Lenore and David ran away for a year and a half, kidnapping the kids? I, phew, I never heard. I, I'm just a swell old aunt. There's nothing to do with me. Uh, gimme, 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 gimme the kids. Gimme the kids. This was swiftly denied. About a month later, Lenore then posted these bizarre, bizarre videos on YouTube. They're kind of funny. If you hit the tab, A Grandmother's Impossible Choice, you'll be able to find a lot of what we went through. And who wrote that report? I did. There was a tragedy in Delaware last week. People died. People were wounded. And those that, of us that are left are trying to make sense of it all. Is there anyone in Delaware now that I and my family can trust besides my two friends, Linda and Carl? Is there? What do you think? I didn't and don't trust anyone in authority. Not psychologists or psychiatrists. My nephew was treated with LSD for attention deficit disorder when he was very young. He's dead. She offhandedly said, when I sell David's three blonde white American girls, I'm going to get $50,000 each and they'll never be found because of my connection. I'm sorry, my connections to the local crime family. And then she said, I have to do things to mommy. It's a big secret. If, if I ever tell mommy's going to be in trouble, I don't want my mommy to go to jail. What would you think she meant? I didn't think it was anything good. No, nothing was planned. David collected his papers, sipped his coffee, and started to leave. And I said, break a leg. Later, we heard about the shooting. I was told that David shot his wife, another woman, two officers, two officers and himself, and was dead. No, was my first thought. David believes in God too much. And he wanted to talk to Christine about their children. He wouldn't have shot her. She was blaming a brain tumor on Thomas's actions and that she had no idea he was going to do it because, and I quote, actually, you know what, I, I won't even quote. I'll let her speak for herself. Tom wasn't behaving normally for the longest time. He told me he wouldn't bring his guns. But Tom's meningioma, it's, that's a, a, a non-cancerous or non-malignant tumor in the covering of his brain. Um, Tom snapped. Tom didn't plan any of this. First of all, he was planning a Reuben sandwich party. We already have the fresh corned beef and the sauerkraut. And my husband loves to eat. He knew he was not going to walk out of that courthouse, and it looked like his family knew too. They also found what looked to be a hit list of, of other people who were involved in the various cases over the years. 
Eventually, the authorities built up uh, enough of a case against Lenore, David, and Amy, and Amy who filmed videos, that, and, and Amy was always part of the harassment and stalking, and they were charged with conspiracy, interstate stalking, and cyber-stalking, resulting in death. They, the authorities, they also learned of another woman named Cindy Bender, who was essentially a spy for the Matusiewiczes. She had begun a relationship with David and was friends with Christine. So, so like, as you can imagine, when Christine would private all her social media so the Matusiewiczes wouldn't be able to stalk her, Cindy, her friend, could still see everything. Christine didn't know. And so she would, she would relay conversations she had with Christine to the family. She'd be asking, okay, Christine, what's she up to today? You know, what's she up to these days? She would then promptly tell it to, to those bastards. Not only that, they also hired a woman named Courtney Emerson to spy on Christine and the, the kids. They had this little, like, gang all out there to ruin Christine's life. And they finally ended it. The trial went ahead in 2015. The Matusiewiczes defended themselves the way they always did. Christine, she's a horrible mother, and they only wanted to save the kids. They're the good guys. They're the heroes here, really. They were all found guilty, and they all received the exact same sentence. Life without parole. Golf club. And there you, there you have it. Um, quite a bizarre plot that went on over... Oh, it went on for almost a decade. Batshit stuff, to be honest. Three months after she was sentenced, by the way, you'll be glad to hear, Lenore Matuswitz died in prison. She was actually sentenced on what was uh, essentially her deathbed. So I think that's some goddamn justice for that old bat. David and Amy, they since appealed, of course. That didn't look good for them. And the three girls, of which this whole plot was, was about, they were placed into, into foster care, which... I mean, goddamn, it's a, an unhappy ending for, for everyone involved. But it's hard to see it ending any other way. So, so there you have it. Now, here I have for you another story of a batshit family. Only this one has no outsiders. Um, thankfully, this plot, they kept, they kept it kind of to themselves. Maybe, unfortunately, for some of the members, anyway. And it was about the choice one family member was given. Pretty shitty choice, to be honest. In 2017, upstate New York, there was, and I guess still is, the Nyrider family. You got your Lloyd, you got your Michelle, and you got your kids. Three of them, count them, three! Of course, that was in 2017. Not so much today, especially when there was a plot from within the family. So our two central and parental figures in this old case are Lloyd and Michelle Nyrider. They had been married for, for a quarter of a century by the time this story really kicks off, which is in 2017. But before we get there, let's get to what led to. Lloyd and Michelle met in high school in upstate New York. Now they were they were all over each other from the get-go, uh, marrying like pretty much right out of high school in 1991. And they headed off, headed off together to college. Together, they would have three daughters. The middle one was named Carrie. And Carrie, uh, she is key to this story. Key Carrie. Carrie was very close with her dad. He would, he would drive her to ballet classes every Saturday. He would do 
He would do her hair in front of all the other mothers, you know, just Lloyd and the gals. Lloyd, um, he was a little bit ex eccentric. Um, <laughs> we'll get into just how much in a little bit. But he was, he was charismatic, and he always wanted to be the center of attention. I mean, no shit, I'm sure he just, he did all these things, just, he just was loving all the attention from all the other mothers. Now, Michelle, the missus, she had a master's degree in literature, but she, she chose to be a full-time mother to her children, and she would homeschool uh, all three of her daughters. However, you know, as the kids grew, she would end up getting a job as an English professor, and then later, at Corning Incorporated, a material uh, technology company. Do you know, ever, ever wonder about the latest innovations in glass? Me neither, but that's what they do. She was also heavily involved in, in charity work, helping out the homeless, making them full with food and soup, and all that sort of stuff. Lloyd, he worked as a design engineer. So, um, they were a happy little family living in Corning, New York. Way upstate New York, uh, south of the Finger Lakes, near the Pennsylvania border. However, when 2008 hit, hit, uh, well, everyone, uh, everyone, like a freight train, the Nye Ritters were no different, as jobs and as money dissipated. Lloyd, an engineer, he applied for, for countless jobs, and he ended up getting one, but his job, uh, you know, it ended up taking him all the way down to Princeton, New Jersey, which, from Corning, was a bit of a hike. And so, you know, him going down there and working down there and staying down there, uh, being so far apart, Michelle and Lloyd, they eventually, they eventually drifted apart over time, and they would divorce. The oldest child went to live with Lloyd in New Jersey, Carrie and the youngest, they stayed with Michelle in upstate New York. But, you know, as I said, Carrie, she was daddy's little girl, his favorite. And so Carrie and Michelle, they, they didn't get along so well. She would eventually leave home, though, and in 2017, she was studying at Rochester Institute of Technology. It would also be in 2017, August the 28th, that a friend would arrive to Michelle's house to pick up the youngest child, 14 years old, to take her to, to, take her to swim practice. And this friend found Michelle in a bad way. and I'm concerned. So she's just standing there not moving? Michelle was found hanging from a banister inside the house. It appeared that she'd done it to herself. Police, you know, searching the house, they found no letter, no note as to why she would have done this. She didn't seem depressed, though. Then again, you don't have to be. And there was no sign of the youngest who still lived with her. However, after Carrie learned of what, of what tragically happened to her own mother, she called the police to let them know the youngest, the youngest was with her uh, up in Rochester. It turned out that Carrie had actually been in the house the night before her mother was found. This is Lieutenant Heverly, can I help you? Hi, um, my name is Carrie. My friends called me earlier today and told me about my mom. Um, and that she, um, I'm sorry. And so she was able to tell, she was able to tell, you know, uh, what, what Michelle's last moments were like before she, 
before she killed herself. And they, they weren't what you would want them, exactly what you would want them to be. Um, Carrie and Michelle, they'd fought. They often fought and they just had another one. Carrie eventually, she stormed out of the place, taking her, the youngest child, you know, her, her little sister with her. After that, I guess, alone in the house, Michelle, extremely upset, did, um, did the unthinkable. And it, it became apparent that the fights storming out, this kind of stuff was nothing new to the Nyrider abode. See, the divorce between between Lloyd and Michelle was uh, acrimonious, I would say. 911 calls from the house, they were, they were common enough. Over the space of, of two years, you're talking about a dozen. Like, that's a lot of no- I don't think I've ever called 911 once in my 32 years of life. That's a lot of calls. Lloyd, he could be violent. He was a real bastard man. He lashing out with his fists at times, and he was very controlling. But not only physically, the abuse could be psychological. Especially to the three girls, you know, when they came along. Lloyd would turn uh, into, into what Michelle's mother would say about Lloyd. That he became a cult leader in the house. And honestly, um, he kind of looks like one. He's got a long face with long black swept back hair down to his shoulders. He doesn't have a very kind face. Um, I don't know, kind of looks like an asshole. This made the impression that Michelle would, would, would take her own life, though, seem more explainable, you know, that he was uh, physically, psychologically, emotionally abusing her, and she didn't see any way out. Lloyd, after hearing the news, he also rushed to be with his daughters. Now, he was actually in California when her body was discovered for a job interview. And he said he wasn't surprised that this happened, that this happened, you know, it seemed like it would eventually happen. But he was the one causing it, so you think, if you're not surprised this has happened, you might blame yourself, you're kind of a fucking dick, but okay. The medical examiner's report stated that the manner of her death, it was consistent with suicide. I mean, that's, and that's, that's the end of that chapter, you know, a, a tragic story, but Shinae. If you don't count the rest of the story. I mean, her friends thought something was off here. She didn't leave a note. She loved her kids, and if she was going to end it all, she wouldn't do it where they could find her, knowing that would be extremely traumatic. And also hanging? Not a common way for women to go. They'll either use knives or pills. Hanging is more of a male thing. The police were still looking into it, to be sure. They needed a little more info. And as well, you know, hearing this, they were like, well, let's double check here, everything is, is hunky-dory. Lloyd, he was he was uh, in New York, still living in New York at the time, sorting stuff out, obviously, he was dead spouse, ex-spouse. So, and he would speak to the police. He told the police that while the divorce had been done and dusted for five years by this stage, there were still issues, custody issues. And there were 20, 26, 26 separate sets of filings. Lloyd, he was trying to get out of child support for the youngest daughter, Dick. And they were fighting over who would get the 14-year-old. The lead investigator, like Michelle's friends, uh, he also had a gut feeling about this, about what really, what really happened to Michelle. He noticed some inconsistencies. For example, scratch marks. And there were photos that made the investigator think, now here, listen lads, hang on a second, something's not right here. Michelle's bed was pushed out of place and there were marks on the wall that looked a little something like blood. A struggle had occurred in the home. And so the lead detective began to, to theorize that this, 
I feel like I'm in a play or something because we got a stage scene over here. Someone had killed her. Now there were no signs, no signs at all of forced entry, nothing was stolen, and so it must have been someone she knew. Someone who might not be happy with her. The person Michelle's friends were telling the police to go to from the get-go. It was believed that Michelle had died sometime very early on Sunday the 27th of August. So the day before she was found. Probably 1am-ish on that Sunday. So where was Lloyd at the time then? The person who may have motive to kill her. Well, the Saturday before, he was only down the road in Rochester with Carrie, helping his favourite daughter move into her new digs at the Institute of Technology. Now after that, he said he crashed at a motel in Rochester, and then drove back on down to New Jersey the next morning. Now police, they did double check his alibi about where he would have been when Michelle died or was killed. They checked his alibi, and his phone, it did never leave the motel in Rochester, which is 90 minutes from Corning, so... Okay, well his phone didn't leave, so... so maybe... Now, remember, Carrie had told the police she was, most likely, the last person to see her mother alive. After she arrived that night, they had a fight, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and then she stormed out of the gaff. It's believed Michelle passed or was killed very shortly after. So, so what, she had a fight, and she just storms out in a big huff, and then, what, Michelle is found in the house in a very shifty way? That seems unbelievable. And her phone also, the, the GPS location, said that she had been in the house longer than she said she had been. So she's lying. The youngest sister also told the police that, now, while she hadn't seen anything, she had been sleeping downstairs in the house. And she did hear screams. She even said it sounded like someone was attacking her mother, but before she knew what was going on, Carrie rushed in and dragged her out of the house to Rochester. So was Carrie telling Phibbs, had Carrie gone there, killed her mother, and then taken her sister out of the house? You know, after they've fought for years and years and that she finally lost the plot, went bananas? Hung her mom? Well, maybe, maybe yes. But also maybe probably not, because Carrie was pretty small. Her mother was a lot bigger, so it's unlikely she would have overpowered the 46-year-old and then getting her in a hanging position, it would take a bit of strength to do that. So, who could have helped her? Well, probably the guy who was already helping her move in, right? Her dad. He certainly could have overpowered her. But his cell phone records showed he didn't leave the hotel. His cell phone said he was 90 minutes away the entire time. Which is correct. His cell phone was 90 minutes away the entire time. But CCTV from the motel showed that Lloyd wasn't with his cell phone. In fact, it showed that at about 10pm, both Lloyd and Carrie left his motel in Rochester together in his car. CCTV would not show him again until the following morning when he returned to the motel. So, the police's next step was to wiretap the dad and the daughter, who seemed to be in some sort of cahoots. Had Carrie and Lloyd gone to, to the house in Corning, New York, you know, the youngest daughter, she never saw Lloyd. Maybe Lloyd snuck in another way and killed Michelle while Carrie distracted the youngest daughter by taking her away. It's hard to say. But wiretapping them, it worked. Hey, can I ask 
phone with officer or whatever from the Corning Police Department. He calls. He's like, oh, you know, I just like to meet with people face to face as well. You know, I'd, I'd like you to not do that if you can avoid it. Tell him I'm sorry. I got, I got a counseling appointment back in New Jersey tonight. I got to get to my counseling appointment. Tell him this has been really hard on me. Yeah. <laughs> Could you cry? I'm like... Cry and say, I'm sorry, I have to go. God, yeah. it would be nice if it was just over. That would be the dream. Well, that's really all I got to suggest right now. After listening in on both of them for four months, they decided, the police, they decided to act and interviewed both Carrie and Lloyd separately. Separately, you know, before they got a chance to, to get their story straight. Hey, you know, do you mind if we speak to you? Just got a follow up on a few small things, you know, just, just one more thing. By this stage, the police felt confident that Lloyd had been the organizer of this staged suicide and that Carrie had, had helped her dad kill her mom because she was a loving daughter. In opposite world. Carrie, as you can imagine, she wasn't as kept together as Lloyd, and she told the police he was, he was with her that night. Now, so what happened? What really, really happened was this. And it shows you just what a, um, hmm, trying to think of the right words, a giant piece of shit. Lloyd really was, and again, it kind of comes back to what Michelle's mother was saying, that he was a cult leader who had complete control over his daughters. So, Lloyd, he was in the shit. Money troubles, alimony, child custody battles, empty wallet syndrome for Lloyd. So what Lloyd, if you can believe this, what Lloyd did was he went to Carrie, his own daughter, and he told her he was going to kill himself because of all these troubles he had. Listen, Carrie, I'm at my wit's end here. There's no way yet for me. The train's coming and I'm tied to the line. It's curtains for me. Don't cry for me because I'm already dead. Save yourself. Or, and Carrie, listen up. I'm just putting this out there. Spitball it. You know yourself. Uh, this is just off the dome. Um, I could kill myself. Or we could kill your mother, and most of my troubles would, would disappear. How's that for a slice of fried gold? He gave Carrie the choice. I kill myself, or we kill your mother. Carrie chose Lloyd. Lloyd had complete control over his children. He would snap his fingers and they would line up. If they disobeyed, he would get them down on their knees with their hands behind their head, like execution-style position. He was able to convince his daughters what a horrible mother Michelle was. He was a master manipulator, especially to carry his favorite, his, his favorite daughter, who he used to take to ballet and do her hair. Carrie was there that night just to distract the youngest child and get her out of the house so he could do what he had gone there to do. I want to ask you, did Carrie have something to do with your dad? No. I just don't think Carrie has it in to kill another person. Can you think of something, whether it was things get out of hand, she gets in a fight, it's a self-defense thing? I mean, can you see that happening with Carrie? It's hard to imagine, but can I picture it? I can. Well, we appreciate you sitting down with us and interrupting your day and everything, so 
After Lloyd's interview that day with the police, they, they tailed him after he left work. He drove to a nearby five-story parking lot, went to the tippity top, and sat down on the ledge. It seems he, he knew the police were, were closing in, and they were not going to take him alive. I mean, though they only knew this because they were tailing him. Uh, if they hadn't been tailing him, they wouldn't have seen him gun up there. But then they began to talk with him, you know, trying to trying to calm him down, talk him literally off a ledge. Now, this went on for 90 minutes, him threatening to throw himself off, the police trying to talk him down until... Boom! A cop football tackled the shit out of him and placed him under arrest. It was straight out of wrestling. Again, I always say this, you can find the video on YouTube. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. Lloyd and Carrie were then both arrested for murder. They both pled not guilty. However, removed, you know, now that she was removed in separate custody away from her father's influence, Carrie changed and she took a plea deal and she would testify against her father. approach you with this plan um it was him and i we were home he was saying like that he was gonna kill himself but he brought up that he was that there was this other option kind of thing up where he would he wanted to kill my mom we dragged her around the corner and he tied the rope to the the one prong of the banister and lifted her up and put her over the side. Sorry. That's okay. She was then able to plead guilty to the lesser charge of, of manslaughter. And after his DNA was found, well, just about everywhere in the house, Lloyd, kind of looking, well, this does not look good for me. He had a change of heart and he would plead guilty to first degree murder fully confessing. On December 4th, 2018, Lloyd Nyritter was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for killing Michelle. Days later, Carrie was sentenced to one to three years. She was released from prison on parole on January 16th, 2020. And there you have it, a very twisted, twisting story of a man so obsessed uh, with his own ego and having complete control, um of his children. He, by the way, let me, just to go back there, he was, he had such a big ego. He was so, Lloyd was so up his own arse that the police learned the password to his computer was all my girls love me. And I guess, I mean, he was right because he was able to convince his daughter to help kill the mother. Batshit stuff. Batshit Steve. And I mean, I, I would honestly say Carrie was a victim of this too at the end of the day. But, Shine, thank you so much for listening to this old podcast. Um, the next episode will be out in a couple of days. Two new That Chapter podcasts out every week. So um, you'll hear from me if you want to real soon. Um, also, if you guys wouldn't mind you know, following, subscribing, leaving some, you know, uh, some ratings, some reviews, uh, please do nice ones. It would be incredibly helpful to me and the, the podcast as we grow. But if you're looking for some videos... You can find them on that chapter on YouTube, where it's me talking to ya with all the videos and the pictures and all that sort of stuff. So, until the next one, please look after each other. Look after yourselves, because I love ya. Mike out. <laughs> <laughs>